I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, the layperson's guide to enjoying music's benefits. We are talking today about the therapeutic application of hip-hop. Now, I'll admit that when I first hear the term hip-hop, I don't immediately associate that with improved mental health and well-being, but I think that might change for all of us after hearing about the work of today's guest. Dr. Elliot Gann is a licensed child and adolescent clinical psychologist. He is a longtime beat maker and executive director of Today's Future Sound, which we'll be referring to as TFS. Dr. Gann has been working with TFS in Bay Area schools and community settings and across the globe using hip-hop, beat-making, and culture as a mental health, educational, social justice, and cross-cultural intervention. He has worked with more than 75,000 youth on six continents in the past six years through TFS and is currently developing the therapeutic beat-making model. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gann. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great to have you. Mainstream hip-hop and rap tend to have a reputation of lyrics that glorify violence, substance abuse, gender discrimination, materialism, and just kind of high-risk behavior in general. You pointed out in your work that hip-hop culture at its core is built on values that include social justice, peace, respect, community. Talk to us about what you see as the core values of hip-hop and why they make hip-hop an effective therapeutic tool for promoting mental health. Yeah, sure. Hip-hop came out of black and brown marginalized youth in the South Bronx in the early 1970s, really creating a way for them to empower themselves and respond to really dire circumstances and marginalization, white supremacy, etc. And during that time, there was a lot of gang activity and gang warfare that really kind of came to a fever pitch. And it was the young people who decided that they didn't want to have to deal with that anymore. And so there was this transition that happened from gang culture where the gangs came together and they actually even signed a peace treaty and instead came together under the flag of hip hop culture, which had kind of been developing at that time. And was and that was um, during the seventies? Yeah, that was the early you know, late sixties, early nineteen seventies. And that okay. really kind of came into fruition in the, the early nineteen seventies. And they came together under the flag of the Universal Zulu Nation, which was started by a, a former gang leader who went by the name of Africa Bambata. And the motto of the Universal Zulu Nation was peace, love, unity, and having fun. And so you really saw a transition from gang violence and warfare to more unity, to musical and other forms of physical, visual expression through all the elements of hip-hop. And when we talk about the elements of hip-hop, they're usually considered to be five elements of old-school hip-hop, where the first is DJing, which kind of sets the musical stage for hip-hop you know, music and culture, and, and also for the form of dance that came out of that, which we call breaking, was known in the mainstream culture as break dancing, but mm -hmm. you're dancing to the break or the breakdown section of the record mm. that the DJs would play at parties, at jams in the park and mm. in the South Bronx, where they found this guy, DJ Cool Herc, who's considered the godfather of hip hop music. You found that when he was playing records and the break section of the record happened, usually stripped down just percussive elements that are part of a song, whether it was at the beginning or somewhere in the middle, that folks and the party people would start dancing the hardest and have the most enthusiastic response. So he 
came up with a technique where he repeated the percussive sections or the, the break sections of the records and he extended the break. So he's essentially extending people's favorite part of the song that was kind of moving people the most. And that led to the inception of hip hop music and beats, as we know it, the background instrumental backing tracks that you hear in hip hop and mm. R&B and electronic music, loop based music that really grew out of hip hop. Okay. So you have... DJing, which includes that kind of beat making and beats portion of it. Um, you have breaking, which is based on dancing to the breaks in those records. You have emceeing, which is, you know, they had MCs who would host the parties and it was their job to keep the crowd engaged and excited. And they would sometimes rhyme and rap. And that's really where kind of rapping emerged from. Um, these are kind of overgeneralized summaries I'm giving you here. For uh -huh. And then you also have the visual expression of hip-hop that was kind of developing at the same time, graffiti. And then the fifth element of hip-hop is knowledge. And it's knowledge of self, as well as knowledge of culture. And that's really been an important part of traditional and old-school hip-hop culture for a long time. And so you had um, this kind of ethos as well that came along with that of each one teach one, this really um, important idea of mentoring and passing along the culture to other folks, whether it be of your same generation or of the next generation. And so the importance of, of knowledge, but also knowledge of self and knowledge of culture is, is really central to hip hop culture. Now, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of things that we hear in different forms of music. And I think hip hop is often scapegoated or targeted. But if you look at, say, the Me Too movement and how many people who are not hip hop people or who are not African-American or not Afro-Latino, who are not people of color, mm -hmm. Harry Weinstein. And I think that it, it, it's a convenient scapegoat to try to blame it just on hip hop. If you look at all the different hip hop music that's out there and what falls under hip hop, there's a lot of music that really is pretty contemplative, critical, etc. So I think it's it's kind of a stereotype. But if we look at our media in general and our society in general, you know, there's a lot of violence in our culture and the movies and the TV. And that's one thing to consider. And then also, of course, we're thinking about as well about the intense amount of trauma that folks in the South Bronx, which was one of the worst ghettos in the United States, were experiencing, not to mention intergenerational trauma, but also the lack of resources. And just, you know, it's it, there's a lot of trauma there um and so there's i think there's different things that we kind of different lenses we need to use to look at this kind of thing and look at those kind of stereotypes sure so you're seeing a lot of themes within hip-hop of empowerment and mm -hmm, well-being mm -hmm. social change fighting for yep. equity and justice kind of resisting exclusion and discrimination yeah, Where, and giving yeah. a voice. Mm, yeah, and that's probably one of the most healing parts about this is giving people a voice to express themselves. Oh, absolutely. And and one of the things that I think kind of building off of what you were saying that's really important is that hip-hop offered a counter-narrative to the white mainstream narrative and a very racist one. You know, I mean, this is just on the heels of quote-unquote desegregation with mm -hmm. redlining still going on, you know, segregating cities disallowing folks of color to be in certain neighborhoods or even to receive loans to be able to get homes and that kind of thing. So that is still going on. It was a disenfranchised, marginalized population who had been oppressed for many, many years. But that's really kind of what led to the development of hip hop and a very oversimplified narrative. And so, and then you have tens of thousands of fires happening set by landlords in the South Bronx 
to burn down their tenements to collect insurance money, leaving people homeless. And it looked like it looked like and effectively was kind of a war zone. If you Google 1970s South Bronx and look at photos, you'll see tons of pictures of burned out buildings. People were left homeless. Um, Now, in addition to that history and that background, hip hop is also really useful for the purpose that you're using it because of how accessible it is. I mean, at its simplest form, you can make a beat with your mouth. Exactly. And and I think, you know, the other point that I just wanted to add on there was that um, for the the voiceless or you know for folks who don't have control of the mainstream narrative and don't even have their voices in there hip-hop was a way for them to to not only empower themselves have fun because that's a central part of hip-hop is having fun Mm -hmm. peace love unity and having fun but also to create a counter narrative to the white mainstream narrative to share information the whole idea of each one teach one and passing on knowledge and creating their own culture uh, which was a fused way of expressing themselves, having fun, creating community, stopping violent conflict. And there's a really amazing documentary called Rubble Kings, which documents the transition from gang culture to hip hop culture hmm. in the way that I've been talking about it. It's And, and like you're saying, hip hop is it, it was something made out of nothing, very limited resources, you know, mm-hmm. and using records as, and turntables as an instrument and effectively transforming the turntable into both a melodic and rhythmic instrument. So Mm. that's really part of the essence of hip hop is the idea of both metaphorically and concretely of remixing things, right? And sampling, borrowing, rethinking. And that really became part of the ethos. So making something out of nothing, it's it's really ingenuity at at its finest. And that's why I think hip hop culture really is pretty amazing in the way that it innovates technologically with ideas and it's it's so of the essence and, and just using bare tools and really a human imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in addition to things that you talked about, other reasons for hip hop being a great therapeutic tool is it is very accessible. You can just use your mouth or some kind of a desk to, to make a beat. It's also a style that a lot of young people feel comfortable with. You point out in your work that it provides a way to build rapport and initiate conversations about yeah. topics that may otherwise be hard to discuss. Yeah, I mean, hip hop is the number one most popular genre of music in the world and in the United States. Is it really? Interesting. Yeah. And it has been for, for a couple of years now. Okay. So if we don't acknowledge that, we're really missing out. And we're not serving youth, we're not serving people well, is the dominant cultural modality. And it's Well, you mentioned that all cultures have a form of it. This isn't just something in New York or the United States. Oh, absolutely. No, 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 totally. And and it's had the most significant impact on popular music culture since nineteen sixty three. And obviously, in 1963, that was the, that was the Beatles, right? But since then, music has been shaped in the most profound way by hip hop, and th- this is coming from the studies that, and research that were conducted. So it really is the dominant cultural modality, and you can see it in fashion, you can see it in figures of speech and language. But and yeah, I imagine I mean, I just, you change how you use hip hop depending on what culture you're working within. Yeah, I mean, you always want to respect whatever culture you're in and the different nuances. And when I travel around the world, I expect there are kind of different permutations of hip hop and different ways that people use it. And, and you're but able yeah, to I mean, really use that, I'm sure, to connect with whatever group you're working with. Yeah. And, and just to to think a little bit more about how hip hop is therapeutic, I, you know, I'll, I'll break it down in two ways. But the first is 
hip hop really encompasses different multiple different of the multiple intelligences. We have kinesthetic intelligence, which is bodily intelligence. How do we solve problems in the real world with our body, whether it be you know people who are good at sports or dance or fixing mm-hmm. things with their hands? Interpersonal intelligence, the capacity to understand other people and to communicate. Intrapersonal intelligence, the capacity to understand one's own internal emotional states and what's going on for you, and then being able to express that through interpersonal. So those two, if you put them together, really kind of comprise socio-emotional learning, which has become really popular in schools these days, Mm. Um, SEL, right? And helping kids to understand themselves and others, to be able to communicate, work together pro-socially, kind of soft skills. So these, so you have those elements, you have logical mathematical intelligence and verbal linguistic, which are the two that are usually have been traditionally have been emphasized in schools and on written tests. So you have these different multiple intelligences and hip hop beautifully encapsulates and has all those folded into all the elements of hip hop that I mentioned before. So for DJing, and for beat making necessarily involved is logical mathematical, the patterns, the mathematical representations, the you know, subdivisions and whether it be time signature or note subdivision, etc. Hip hop necessarily comes out of the community and has to do both with the individual, who you are as an individual, and in the context of the community, because it came out of the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's really important for us to define ourselves as individuals, but also in the context of larger communities and that's sure. Well, and you the- just did a really good job of explaining one of the benefits of what you do with your methods is you're really addressing people holistically. They're not only getting the mental and emotional and social therapy and support, but they're also learning 21st century skills. They're mm-hmm. seeing improvement in behavior and academics, feelings of well-being. And what you do also really aligns well with the STEM or STEAM curriculum too, mm-hmm. as well yeah. as world geography and digital literacy, community service. Of, I mean, there's so many yeah. things that are addressed with what you do. It, no, all of the above. And that's the thing. Hip hop integrates that and incorporates that naturally and organically. And so it's kind of like we think about when you're using hip hop and the idea of you know hip hop pedagogy and hip hop education, you have two major benefits as I see it. One is the delivery of content in a culturally responsive, developmentally responsive way where kids are learning things. It's almost kind of like a gummy vitamin, right? Kids are learning things and it doesn't even taste bad or it tastes good. And they don't even (laughs) quote unquote know it, or maybe it's much more palatable and interesting and relatable because it's their reality. Yeah. Um, Well, another benefit that we didn't even mention was entrepreneurship and career pathways because a lot of this translates into that. Yeah. No, hip hop, it invented things by necessity. And hip hop has always been STEM and STEAM. In fact, it's always been STEAM. There's no way to separate that out. And just and the to clarify, thing, the STEM and STEAM that we're talking about is what? Science, technology, engineering, art, and STEAM, and math, mathematics. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that's beautiful about hip hop is not only can you deliver content, but hip hop and the process of participating in it is experiential and participatory. You learn by doing. Mm-hmm. And that's just really pretty amazing right there's the the value of learning by doing and hip-hop is embodied and that's why hip-hop is also therapeutic and hip-hop is naturally therapeutic it's it's implicit it's baked into it because hip-hop grew out of a really difficult situation that was kind of doused in trauma Mm -hmm. 
And this was a way for disenfranchised, marginalized youth to empower themselves and to heal from this gang violence and societal violence and history of it, you know, intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. So you have naturally therapeutic adaptive elements built into hip hop. So when we talk about hip hop therapy and the therapeutic or educational value of hip hop, it's not something new that we're inventing as much as identifying how this process already worked. And so what I really tend to focus on and what my theory is and the model that we use at Today's Future Sound is I uh, think about the therapeutic beat making model. How and why is beat making the process of creating instrumental, percussively oriented, instrumental standalone compositions? How is that therapeutic? And someone said, well, how is this therapeutic? And I say, well, there's three main ways that it's therapeutic. And this is the therapeutic beat making model. The first is we know across all theoretical orientations, psychological, mental health interventions, the number one predictor of positive therapeutic outcome is the relationship. Mm. And we can rapidly engage, and that's the first step. You have to engage someone and develop the rapport, develop the relationship. Mm-hmm. The, the relationship itself in therapy is, is healing, having a new, healthy relationship. So we can rapidly, through the beat-making equipment, through hip-hop culture, but I find particularly with the beat-making equipment that we use, I use something called the Ableton Push, which is a MIDI controller, a pad controller that lights up and triggers sounds. Mm, And we'll Um, include some pictures of that in the show notes, too, because I had never seen anything like it before I saw your pictures. Yeah. So that controller is very immediate and it's both concrete and abstract. I can program the rhythm of Billie Jean in literally about five seconds by you know lighting up my kick drums on the ones and the threes and lighting up the snare drums on the twos and the fours and then adding eighth note hi-hats on top of that. And suddenly I've taken these little pieces and created this gestalt, this whole, and something that's recognizable. And then we can transform it by just adding a couple more kick drums And this is, you're seeing this also happen visually being represented by these pads that light up. So it's very engaging. Kids, even adults, just want to touch it, poke the button, see what happens, hear the sound. And it's a multi-sensory integration that happens in one moment where you have the visual representation, the light is representing whether the sound is on and has been triggered, the sound that comes from that simultaneously when you touch it, and then the kinesthetic experience of touching it. So there's this multi-sensory integration that happens. Sure. And we know for people who've been ex- who are really traumatized, they have a lot of trouble with sensory integration, repeated complex trauma, repeated PTSD. And so these kinds of things, we know that rhythm regulates the nervous system, it down-regulates the nervous system, repetitive rhythmic interaction, whether it's with other people, but also musical repetitive beats, it's predictable. Where trauma sure. is unpredictable, and comes mm-hmm. out of the blue and knocks you off of your axis and dysregulates you, mm-hmm. a regular repeated rhythm can really kind of slow down the nervous system and calm people down. Sure, um, I and I think that's really important. Safety and continuity and predictability when they're not totally. accustomed to having much of that in their life. Yeah. And so I've skipped ahead here a little bit. I was talking about the relationship and the importance of the relationship. Now, doing synchronized rhythmic exercises or activities is really important for community building and, and creating a sense of connection and thus safety and belonging. And one of the things about trauma is that people who are traumatized feel really isolated, like no one can understand their experience. So when you have a way of coming together, and this is why you see this in so many traditional cultures and religions and why music is such a powerful communal experience. You know, so, so that's a way for folks to join 
and form relationships through that experience and, and kind of bring people together. And then I had started to move on from the relational domain, which is the first domain or dimension of the therapeutic beat making model, to talking about the expressive dimension, which has to do with the idea of both catharsis and release through expressing one's emotions and you know, non-verbal, it can be verbal as well, it can be sung or even wrapped or spoken, but I think it happens, in fact, I know it happens in non-verbal ways and through participating in these rhythmic exercises, even listening to music can really down-regulate our stress response system or, or change our mood and state. And so I talk about the way that music and repetitive beats can, can change our neurophysiological level of arousal and bring down, bring us down from stress response states where we're really flooded with cortisol and adrenaline and help us to kind of calm down. And I've seen that happen thousands of times. Students who may be agitated, upset, angry, maybe, you know, even kind of a rage state, if you can get them down-regulated, and it can really help to ground them. So we have the relational or the relationship domain, the expressive one that I was just talking about. And then the third domain that, that I talk about is the self-concept domain, both self-esteem how we compare ourselves to our ideal sense of self that we strive to be or achieve. And there's also the idea of self-efficacy, what kind of effect we can have on the world, how much control we have over our world. And as we offer these experiences and opportunities to kids and to youth and to people, I believe that they gain a greater sense of mastery, both over the know-how. I know how to make these beats, do this on my own, work these complex instruments or software or whatever, but also even just, you know, I always think it's really important to give people options and a sense of control and autonomy who don't have a lot of control over their lives, the option to choose, to make a choice and ask them, what do you think? What do you want? What do you like is really powerful. So coming back to the therapeutic beat making model, we can develop relationships and engage youth who are otherwise, quote unquote, disengaged, not interested or not having their needs met and are difficult for mainstream, traditional, you know, Eurocentric education to engage with hip hop, with these beat machines, with technology, which is culturally and developmentally relatable, relevant, uh, responsive, however you want to call it. We can help folks to express themselves and calm themselves down and have this kind of sense of joining and it create a sense of safety through the cipher in hip hop, the, the circle where everyone's taking turns rapping or doing something mm. together. And then also the self benefits that I was just talking about, whether it's self esteem or self efficacy, improving self concept. Mm -hmm. So those are the three major ways where people say, well, beat making, how, how could this possibly be therapeutic or education mm. in, in this, in this way? And uh -huh. I can teach kids in more kinesthetic embodied lived ways about fractions we have to integrate the information in a meaningful way to encode it. So it has mm -hmm. to matter to you. And we know that people learn better when they're standing up, walking around than when they're sitting. That's a cognitive psychology fact in terms of how people process information. And, and the more different ways you process it, the more you kind of iterate those neural pathways, those sure. new neural really pathways in the brain. The knowledge. Yeah. 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 You, you work with youth in school. You work with them uh -huh. in after school programs. Mm -hmm. You work with them in juvenile detention centers, mental health yep. facilities. You also you work with ad adults, veteran yeah. groups, right? We've done some pilot groups with that. That's something that we're really interested in getting more into. Okay. Um, we did a pilot group at Texas State University with Dr. Raphael Travis, who's author uh -huh. of the book, 
the healing power of hip hop. But we did work with student veterans there. And it was really interesting because it was mostly white men who didn't really identify with hip hop that much. A lot of them listened to country music and rock, but it was still interesting how we were able to use the framework, media, the beat making machines. They were still really interested because they were able to make something uh, in a really rapid way Mm. and to iterate and put into nonverbal forms, perhaps certain like feelings and emotions, and then have that become a composition and something that became concrete that they made. It seemed to be really impactful for them. And then in thinking about what many veterans experience in terms of PTSD and complex mm-hmm. trauma, I think that this offers a non-stigmatizing way, especially I think for men, where there's a lot of stigma for men to you know, make yourself emotionally vulnerable, to talk about sure. feelings, especially coming out of the military and kind of a you know, machismo culture where you're supposed mm-hmm. to just suck it up. It's a culturally familiar way that doesn't stigmatize and says, hey, you know, let's let's do something that's familiar. Let's make beats. Let's, you know, engage in hip hop is really powerful. And hip hop really has this kind of upward trajectory of, of growth, of being better, doing better. And this desire for growth, it was in really adi- impactful. In, ad- in addition to working directly with youth and some of these environments that we talked about, you also do consulting. And if listeners want to find more out about your work, connect with you, check with you on some consulting opportunities, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and connect with you? I think our website, todaysfuturesound.org, or through social media, we're on Instagram at todaysfuturesound, facebook.com slash todaysfuturesound, but also you can send me an email. We have a general info email, info at todaysfuturesound.org. Or Egan, he is an Elliot, G-A-N-N, like New York, New York, at todaysfuturesound.org. I'll include those links in the show notes. I ask all of my guests to give listeners what I call an improv, which is a try this at home, a hack, an experiment that will enhance listeners' lives with music. Do you have a suggestion today for us? Yeah, so I think a really interesting exercise to do that kind of brings you into the mind of a beat maker is to just try taking a listen to a song. It doesn't have to be hip hop, but it's great if it's hip hop or electronic music and try to listen to the different instruments. I'd encourage people to start perhaps with the drum sounds and notice the individual drum sounds and, and the rhythmic patterns of the drums and what, what other instruments are playing on the track and to kind of try to break that down into component parts and notice how perhaps the different sounds are used to complement each other, how they fit. And then kind of as an extension of that exercise, kind of doing the reverse instead of breaking a beat down to its component parts is to build a beat. And there's really, there's a lot of great resources out there, but one link that we've included in the show notes is the learningmusic.ableton.com, which is Ableton's introduction to music and understanding drum programming, like creating rhythms, programming the drums. And it goes through that and it it has online free interactive embedded software or activities you can do on the, on that website. And it breaks down different drum patterns or, you know, the drums from different famous tracks and and you get the programs. Oh, that's, that's how the drums from, you know, when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin or, you know, (laughs) Billie Jean or some famous hip hop song, that's how you program it. That's the rhythmic notation and how you can do it. Oh, neat. 
fun. Well, we're going to close out our conversation with a musical coda. Tell us a little bit about the song that you're sharing with us today. Sure. So this is a collaborative song that I co-wrote with a student and student collaborator of mine in Brisbane, Australia, when I was an artist in residence at Music Industry College, which was for 11th and 12th grade students who wanted to go in the music industry. It's a student named Asha Jeffries, who now is a successful independent musician and has got a really pretty significant amount of radio play there and, and tours and is a full-time musician. She's one of the most gifted songwriters and composers I've ever met. Her songwriting is absolutely incredible. So we were working in the studio together with a couple other students. And I think we started with the drum beat. I, I view that as the skeleton of the song. And then we added on, she added on chord progressions. And I said, you know, let's use this instrument. It sounds kind of ethereal. You know, say, have some lyrics about or the chorus about to the sky and flying above, you know, the world below. And so she kind of developed that. Uh, we kind of co-developed the lyrics and she sang the harmonies, the background vocals. And it's this kind of very uplifting and ethereal song, but it's also kind of acknowledging all the kind of craziness and some of the difficult things that are going on in the world on the ground below. And so, yeah, to me, it's a nice kind of poppy sounding song, which I don't usually kind of make. I think it's probably the poppiest song I've ever made, but uh, it's still got the hip hop influence of the drums and even the kind of the West Coast Dr. Dre style synth uh, lead that you'll hear in the chorus. So I think it's an interesting amalgamation and hybrid of different styles.
great song and a great story. You can listen to more songs by Asha Jeffries and Elliot Gann on Spotify. There are lots of links in the show notes for today's episode, including lots of pictures of today's future sound in action. Several of the photos show the beat-making touchpads that we refer to in our conversation if you're interested in seeing what those look like. One thing we love to talk about on Enhanced Life with Music is how music affects our everyday lives. And as you know, I love hearing from listeners. I got a big smile recently when listener Peggy pointed out to me one of the ways music can affect our everyday lives in a very annoying way. (laughs) Peggy wrote, why is hold music, and I use that term loosely, so, so, so bad and annoying? So you give up on holding I've been on hold with my credit card company for 25 minutes, supposedly a 15-minute wait, and feel like I'll never get this awful noise out of my head. I hear you, Peggy. (laughs) My answer is probably because companies don't want to pay what it would cost for decent music. Our guest in episode 18, uh, song traders Jody McGinley, talked a little bit about properly sourcing background music so that musicians are paid for their work. Uh, I saw an image recently that was a billboard that said, funny thing about musicians, they want to be paid. Uh, So I thought that was kind of cute. But yeah, that would be my guess. If any of you have more insight into this, let me know. And speaking of music affecting our everyday lives, I realized after the fact that music affected me as a parent this past weekend. Our church recently organized a mask sewing effort for masks for a local hospital that was running short on protective gear. And I signed up for it, and my 18-year-old daughter said, oh, I'll sign up too. So signed her up for a kit as well. And I thought, you know, how easy can this be? Each kit makes 25 masks. All of the items are right there in the kit piece of cake. So I picked up the two kits and thought, we'll just knock this out in a couple hours on Saturday evening. So Saturday evening, we started working on this and four and a half hours later, we finished half of the masks. So 25, one of the kits. And I will never think of 25 as a small number again. (laughs) And I'm really curious to see what gets turned in from all the people working on these masks because it was definitely more complicated than I expected. Fortunately, the next half went much quicker. We finished them in two hours on Mother's Day. And by then, we knew what we were doing and had a system down. All that to say, I got to listen to my 18-year-old daughter's Spotify playlist for six and a half hours over the weekend. And it was really a fun way to get to know her more and discover some new music that she likes and some of it I also like. And I got to hear the song I had heard about. I had read about the song Six Feet Apart that was written for Quarantine by Alec Benjamin. I think there are some other ones also that have been written, but that ended up playing. And I was like, oh, hey, I've heard about this song. So it was it was really fun, and it's one of the side benefits of this quarantine is I get to spend more time with my daughter and hear her music. So that was a fun way that music enhanced my life as a parent this weekend. I did post pictures, by the way, on Instagram and Facebook of us making our masks and us with the finished product. Uh, One picture I did not post is the picture after that that we took where I said, okay, Adrian, now look 
the way you feel. So I'll post that picture on the show notes for today so you can see how we really felt by the time we finished those 50 masks. But I would love to know how music has affected your everyday life recently. You can connect with me on my website, mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. And for this episode, you can add slash episode 42. Comment on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Or send me an email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com. Thank you for joining me today. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.